Well, hey, my friends, what is going on in your world? Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Everyday Missionary Podcast. And a uh, weird thing last week, uh, I took a week off from the podcast. And that is not something I normally do. Uh, I think this week we're at episode 205. Um, and in the course of 205 episodes, I think I've missed like three weeks ever. And some of those, like earlier on, was because I, you know, it was like a vacation thing and I just decided, hey, I won't worry about it. But for the most part, I've tried to be really loyal to doing these every single week. Uh, and last week was just one of those weeks where, just in all candor, uh, kind of life fell apart a little bit. And here's the interesting thing about it like, this isn't quite the topic of the day or whatever else, but just kind of, I don't know, it's like one of those freebies because you showed up or whatever else. But it was interesting because, um, Last week, there was just a bunch of things that all kind of happened simultaneously, and uh, from that, there was just kind of a weariness of heart, weariness of body, weariness of soul, you name it. It was all weary, and uh, no amount of, like, high-caffeinated, like, coffee was going to remedy all of the worn-outness of things, and so I'm just like, I, I just don't have it. I can't, there's... There's nothing I got in me. So now, and also in that to to let you know that um, I mentioned having my wife on the podcast. We're going to actually do that probably next week is when I'm going to record that. That's when she's going to have some free time to do it. Um, which I'm looking forward to that because that's really going to be worth the price of admission right there. Uh, but anyway, so I just I was just like I'm beat. That's it. And it was the first time ever in 30 years of pastoring that I was looking at Sunday and I'm like I think I'm just going to get up there and say. It was a bad week. Um, I don't have anything to share. Uh, it was just too much for me to be able to close the deal on a message. And so that was kind of my plan. Uh, and then God in his grace was very gracious to me on Saturday, which is also pretty rare for me that I'm actually putting stuff together on Saturday. But certainly on Saturday that the message I spoke at our church on Sunday kind of came together. And what was great about that, and this is just that reminder of things, is the topic was all about this idea that Jesus calls us to bless our world when um, it's hard. He calls us to be a blessing in our world when everything in us doesn't want to bless the world, maybe wants to crawl up in a hole away from the world or wants to be angry at the world or wants to blame the world or wants to judge the world. I mean, we, we are so tempted to want to do the opposite of what Jesus tells us to do, which is to do good, to bless, to pray for, you know, those kinds of things are really hard when you feel the world is not treating you right or the world is being unfair or the world is just not playing by the rules that you wanted to play by in that particular day or week. And, and that was sort of like stuff for me last week. And so it was awesome that Jesus was like, dude, the message is on how you're supposed to bless when you're having a hard time. So how about we work on this together and then you can go and talk about being a blessing and blessing others when you feel cursed in your own life. And it was just like such a poignant thing for me to be reminded of that fact. And then to be able to say to all of us like, hey, this is what we're supposed to do, right? So just an interesting thing. And, and like I said, rare for me, rarely have I ever looked at a Sunday that I, I'm not going to come in with a message. Rarely do I miss a podcast, but it was just one of those things, right? Uh, and the details of all of that isn't really that material to it. It was just one of those things where it's very rare that I ever get to those spaces. Like there's been really hard weeks I've had in my life. Uh, the week our father, my father-in-law passed away, the week my son came out, th there was other benchmarks, some really hard things. And I always did the Sunday immediately after that 
that event. I never missed a Sunday for those things. But this was the one where she's like, man, this is finally, this is just taking a toll. I don't know. And then again, Jesus was very gracious to me and brought together a, a message that was important for me. Um, and so I could even go into that Sunday and I wanted to bless and remind us to bless when things are hard. Now, in a certain sort of way, that story, while not directly the topic of the day, it does have a connection to the topic of the day. And so, like I said, next week, I'm going to hopefully interview my wife and we'll close up the Purity series. But I wanted to do something that I think is very important in the current context of what's going to be unfolding, perhaps in our society in the next weeks and months. And I'm calling this topic, How to Be Christian in COVID 3.0, right? So this is, again, incredibly pertinent to the to the time that we are in if you're kind of paying attention to the news or whatever else what it seems to be looking like is that our covid cases are going up with the delta variant and and realistically the way evolution works especially when we're talking about things at this level uh it'll go from a, a delta variant uh you know because you've gone through alpha beta gamma delta we'll have an epsilon you know i mean you're just going to go through the greek letters on on variations because things mutate right uh and they mutate the longer they kind of stick around and so you know it's just a part of the, the mechanism that plays out in many different factors, but it's why we it's hard, hard to stay ahead of things and everything else. And so one of the things I've been thinking about, and I've been saying this a lot this year, so in some ways some of this is like a ditto repeat session and others maybe a little bit more novel, but I always go back to, and maybe looking even at this last week, uh, this idea that says, you know what, hardship is an opportunity for the Christian to shine. Now, the other part is, if Christians don't shine in hardship, but they complain, they grumble, they uh, sound demanding, they they put their hands on their hips and they go full-blown Karen, you know, like whatever it is, like it does the exact opposite. It, it says, not only does God not make people different, but it almost makes it sound like, wow, when you've got God, you're more allowed to be more earthly than than the rest of us because, again, you think you're entitled to be able to voice your negative opinion or whatever. Like, I don't understand what it is, but there's something about the fact that when we claim the name of Jesus openly, but we don't suffer well when suffering is out in the open, but rather we're talking about how inconvenient the suffering is, we undermine this idea that we actually bring something different to the world and we bring a fortitude. Uh, matter of fact, it's interesting uh, there's a word in the New Testament that is so pertinent to this, which is this idea of long-suffering or enduring. I think in Greek, it's the word hupomone. And so it's that thing that we're supposed to exhibit, uh, this sense that we can go longer than others. We can be stretched more thinly than others because we have God active in our life to give us perspective, right? He gives us perspective on the fact that, again, this world is brief and eternity really is forever, that while we're still in this world, it's not about us, it's about others, it's about really communicating the values of the kingdom that eventually will take over the world, and they're very different than the values of the world that we currently live in, like hardship is an opportunity for us. But if we don't show up in the hardship as people of endurance, long-suffering, grace, and peace, if we're not the people that say, I have hope beyond this, and I'm not going to cause trouble in this, I'm not going to, again, kind of whine about this, but rather I'm going to remind people it's okay, God's in control, we're going to be all right, we can pull together, we're going to make this happen in the best way possible, we're going to have the best attitude when things are rough, we're going to go the extra mile to do extra things for those who are hurting in this time. Like, if that's our message, we do awesome, but if that is not our message, it's a wasted opportunity. And I know for myself as a pastor and talking to many other pastors and reading stories of pastors uh, in the United States in the last 18 months, roughly, there was this deep lament 
that we we really missed an opportunity. Like we really had a great opportunity with COVID 1.0 and 2.0. And we seem to be the ones that were more uh, apt. Not all of us. I want to be clear with this. Not all of us. I, I don't want to make it sound like that. But like somebody said to me the other day, you know, the loudest voice tends to dominate the environment. And there was loud voices from pastors and churches that were very demanding. You can't close this. You can't force us. You can't have control over us. You know, we're going to go ahead and take you to court. We're going to solicit attorneys and we're going to go to judges and, and all of that. And I'm not saying that there isn't a time and a place for that, but then this was sort of linked in with this is a violation of our constitutional rights. This is taking away our religious freedoms. You know, worshiping God is more important above all else. And and I, I, I heard all of that. And I remember as a member of that community, I was like, I just want to put a bag over my head because I'm embarrassed right now by the tone of this. Because even the tone, and this is maybe the most important part of that. It's not that you wouldn't say you can never go to court. You can never sue a governor or whatever else. That's not so much my thing. But the tone was never that I heard like, hey, we're not certain about this. And we think it'd be really good for a third party to help all parties understand. And so, Mr. or Mrs. Governor, we understand the rules that you're creating and why you're creating those right now. We understand that you have a difficult job as a leader to navigate a pandemic that some of us are unsure if it's a big deal or not. And others feel it's a really big deal. I understand all of that too. So we want to go ahead and solicit a third party, the court, to help us navigate where the law really does and does not fit in. And so we're not trying to say, Mr. and Mrs. Governor, you are a wrong person or a bad person. We're all human and we think a third party would be great. Like that kind of tone is very peacemaking, very diplomatic and says, hey, we just want to sort out who's who understands this best. And so we want to have a third party arbitrate the problem and solve it. But that's not what it was. It was leaders saying they're wrong. The governors are wrong. The leaders are wrong. The CDC is wrong. The politicians are wrong. The powers are wrong. You know, and and for the most part, many of us who were calling out wrongness, we're not specialists in these fields, right? We're not professional politicians. We're not professional scientists. We're not, you know, that's just not our field, but we act as though we've kind of solved it. We're the be all end all. And with all of those statements, what was happening was there is this cacophony of, of dissent. And then a disbelieving world was watching that cacophony of dissent. And, and, and there was a couple of things that happened in that one. They're like, wow, the rest of us are trying to be chill and it's, the churches and the Christians that are freaking out. And it was interesting because I had some friends in my life that are disbelieving people that are a part of like the restaurant industry and, and um, like the entertainment industry. And, and they were the most dumbfounded because they're like, we're actually losing our jobs. We're actually losing revenue, but we're on board with this. And then they were looking at people that they knew to be Christians who their jobs weren't affected in any way. They weren't losing money for the lockdown. In fact, if anything, these people were suddenly getting extra free time. They were in the tech industry. They could be home more. They could manipulate their schedule more. So my friends that were disbelieving in these industries that were actually hurting were looking at Christians in industries that were fine. And they're like, why are you guys complaining and talking about how bad this is? We're actually negatively impacted, but we're going to go ahead and play along with this because we think it's a big deal. And so there was this weird sense in which the disbelievers were more going to grab onto this whole for the sake of the greater good. We'll suffer, right? We'll take the hit because we believe this is for the greater good. Where then it sounded to them like the Christians were saying, you know what? If it negatively impacts me and I can't go on my trip and I can't enjoy my vacations and I can't do my stuff and my kids can't be in their sports, that somehow there's an injustice here. 
And this is why I think going into potentially 3.0 of this, we have an opportunity to do it different than maybe we did before. And, and when I say we, I'm talking in the most general way. We Christians, we evangelicals, we who publicly say Jesus is the one we follow, uh, that we have the chance then to be the change agents and difference makers by bringing a much more positive perspective, healthy attitude, and a sense of we we can do this, everybody, and complaining will not solve a thing, demanding will not heal a thing, but rather we're going to be, again, people that do things different and have a transcendent vision of the world when things are hard. Because listen, life is always going to be hard. If it's not this, it's going to be something else. And if we can't be the people that seem to be the most steely and stationed and upbeat when things are hard, why would anybody want our faith? Like if, because that's one of the things that look in the New Testament, one of the biggest messages it actually celebrates is, hey, when you've got Jesus in your life, you can suffer this world well. But when we don't suffer this world well, it looks as though either one of two things, we don't have Jesus in our life or Jesus really doesn't do anything. Jesus is just a cute little figurehead. He is this like, um, uh, iconic uh, poster face that we use, but there's no real power in it. And therefore, it undermines the truthfulness of Christianity. Like, because if it's not true in our own life, that's kind of the only truth people get to really measure against, right? Everybody can debate the Bible. Everybody can debate the historicity of the person of Jesus. But it's really tough to to um, debate a person who seems really changed, right? Like a genuinely kind person in the midst of adversity. In fact, just this kind of an anecdotal thing, uh, just started watching Ted Laszlo, which, which if you haven't, I mean, there's some cussing in it, I'll warn you, but it's the depiction of just the nicest guy in the world remaining nice when the world is set against him and thinking the best even when people speak the worst against him and being an encourager to the people around him, even though many people around him are being his discourager. Like he, I honestly, I'm watching the show going, if we did that, if every Christian was a Ted Laszlo, the world would be a different place, right? So honestly, you know, that's the truth of it. And so that is the powerful change agency that we can bring into the world when things are hard. And then with that, I think we need to think in terms of whatever I do next, Whatever I do next, right? Every single day with everything you do, I'm going to do the next right thing. And by the next right thing, what I'm talking about is the next right kingdom thing. And more specifically, what I mean about that or by that is the next right thing when it comes to the great commandment to love God and love your neighbor. So let me re-unpack that for a second. To love God is in fact to love your neighbor. And if you don't love your neighbor, John says in 1 John 4, you don't actually love God. See, it's easy to say, I love God, but God says, great, then love your neighbor. And if you can love your neighbor well, if you can be sacrificial for the sake of your neighbor, then you're proving you love me. But if you're not willing to truly love your neighbor in a sacrificial way, your words of loving me are just lip service. Because if you love me, you'll do what I've asked you to do. I've asked you to love your neighbor. Yes, that's a hard thing. But it's the same thing I did for you, human race. You were my human race neighbor. You were set against me. You didn't care for me. You weren't interested in me. You did your own thing, went your own way, called your own shots, made your own rules. And still, I came alongside you. I was your servant. I suffered for you. I gave myself for you because I loved you. Now, and tribute to that, to show that you are so grateful for what I did for you, go do the same for me in my name by loving other people that are in your life. You come alongside whatever else. That's the simple rule of loving God and loving your neighbor and how they are symbiotic in their relationship. So then, 
as we go into this new season and we're facing these new challenges and school may or may not be normal and stores may or may not be normal and life may or may not be normal and you may or may not have to wear a mask or whatever it is, the formula you want to use is how can I communicate, how can I demonstrate, how can I prove to the world then I'm a love your neighbor kind of person. And by that, what I mean is I will, I will actually do things that are inconvenient for me to show that I love you. So personal story on this, go back to COVID 1.0, right? When everything kind of first rolled out and the governor was saying, Hey, we're just asking that groups of 10 or more not meet. So this was back in March of 2020 and it was just a request. And we sat down as leaders, myself and Scott and Trent, and we just said like, okay, it's just a request, but our, our, our country is asking us for a favor. Our state is asking us for a favor. And our mission is for the good of the city. That's kind of how we do things. And so with that, we're like, okay, we're already planning to not meet at the school. This is even before the school said you can't meet there, right? But we're like, we're planning on not meeting at the school. We'll start doing stuff via video. We don't know how long it's going to last. But we're going to do this because the best way to communicate to our community is to say, we love our neighbors so much, we will forego meeting as an act of love and sacrifice because we've been asked for a favor. And if Christians can do things when they're asked for a favor, that's really awesome because Jesus actually says, when things are demanded of you, you do them, right? So if Jesus says when it's demanded of you to truly love him is to do what's demanded of you, well, how much more than if it's just requested of us that we would do it to prove that we love Jesus and we love our neighbor? So we had already gone down that road. And then there was the question of masks. And this is just my own personal thing on this, right? So you can understand how I process through how I love people around me. So it came up kind of initially as kind of a a request that converted to a mandate really quickly. But for me, I'm like, man, this is super easy because I think about Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 where he says, I become all things to all men that I might win the more. And the messaging behind the mask is this is how you can care for other people. This is how you can keep from spreading it to other people. And so for me as a Christian, I go, if I really love my neighbor and my late, my neighbor's being told like, hey, wearing a mask is how we keep each other from getting sick in this, then this was a no brainer. I'm going to choose to do this because I want to communicate to my neighbor that you matter to me. Because the messaging was, hey, if the people around you matter, you don't want to spread this to somebody else. You care for them, so do this. And so for me, here's the evangelistic element of the mask, right? In my thinking, it was as simple as many of the people that I seek to reach out to for Jesus, many of the different people uh, that I've tried to build bridges to that are disbelieving people in my community— are also people that lean more to the left side politically. And certainly during this time of COVID, there was this bizarre divide uh, politically, which I think was tragic for Christians to get sucked into, but we get sucked into the politics all the time. But but there was this political divide that's like, hey, you're anti-mask if you're conservative and you're pro-mask if you're liberal. But for me, it was simple. I'm like, many of the disbelieving people in my life are liberal people. And to them, the message of not wearing a mask is, I don't love you. I care about myself more than I care about you. And I don't ever want them to think that I care more about myself than I care about them or that I don't value their health or well-being. And I just care about my own freedom more than their their well-being. And so for me, I'm like, I wore a mask everywhere because I never want to bump into a person that I've been trying to show the love of Jesus to and have them go, wow, that just undermined his vision of the love of Jesus for me because that doesn't look terribly loving. When the gym was open, but we were supposed to wear masks, I wore a mask every time at the gym. I worked out in a mask every single time during the mask mandate because I never wanted to bump into a person 
that said, oh, Pastor Matt, clearly, he doesn't, he's one of those, right? Because the one of those sends the message that I don't love them. And I thought just like Paul, you know, he would, he would take on certain things that he didn't want to take on. He would do certain things he didn't want to do. That's that first Corinthians nine, but he would do it to win the more. He would do it because Jesus was more important than his own flexibility, freedom, comfort, rights, or whatever. So for me, it was very simple. It's like, I want you to know I care about you. Now we're in a time where they're saying, hey, even if you're vaccinated, you probably want to start wearing a mask. And for me, then I go back to, okay, well, this is really easy because the last time I did it, it was because I love my neighbor. I want my neighbor to know I love them. And even if now I'm doing it because there's people that are unvaccinated, I could look at this and say, well, I got vaccinated. I did my job. You're not doing your job. This is your problem now, not my problem. I'm not going to cover up to protect you, but here's the problem with that thinking. It doesn't love my neighbor. See, that's another one of those concerns I have right now, that there are some of us that were vaccinated, and now we're getting mad at the people that were not vaccinated. And we're saying, this is your problem, not my problem. And if you get sick, it's on you. And I'm not going to go out of the way to inconvenience myself just because you're taking a stand on something where you're not looking at all the data or whatever thing we might say. And here's the deal. Jesus said to love people that you disagree with. Jesus said to love people that inconvenience you. Jesus said to love people that maybe you don't feel like being loving toward right now. And so for me, the formula is still really simple. Why will I probably put a mask back on here really soon? Because I will love the people that disagree with me and I disagree with, right? I, I, you know, I'm, everybody who knows me knows, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm big on science, of course. Uh, but also the very reason I got the vaccine was pretty simple. I wanted to love my neighbor. I didn't worry about the, the, the minute risks of these things because I'm like, to love my neighbor is more important. I don't want to spread something to my neighbor. And part of that wasn't just the neighbor among me, but I'm like, if we don't get to this kind of herd immunity, it will reshut down our culture. I will be hurting restaurants again. I will be hurting theaters again. I will be hurting sports again. I will be hurting all the people that are connected to all these industries if I don't go out of my way to do an uncomfortable thing. And so that was the heart behind the vaccination for me. It was not because, wow, I want to make sure that I don't get sick. It really wasn't. It was, I want to make sure that I don't negatively impact my society because either A, I feel that I'm pressured to do this. And and that's one of those things that I've heard people say, well, I don't like being pressured into something. I'm like, but that's not a good reason to not do something. You may not like that, but it's not a good reason to not do something, right? Or when you really look at just trying to get through all the information on vaccines, you know, when you really look at just the really concrete stuff and you look at other countries like Israel and places that have gotten mass herd immunity through vaccination, they're doing awesome, right? You just anecdotally, you can look and go, they are overcoming this stuff through through this mechanism that we as a culture are divided on. And because of that, we as a culture are probably going to get a little bit of hurting going on or a little suffering going on here again, because we're just divided on this. And again, I'm not trying to give a big lecture on why you should get vaccinated or whatever else. I'm trying to drive all of this back through that our decision-making and things in life should be, how does this communicate? I love my neighbor. How does this communicate an authentic love that says, I want to minimize the suffering of my neighbor even if it means I have to suffer a little bit to ensure a lack of suffering or lessening the suffering of my neighbor around me. And so this is where, again, I want to remind of what our calling as Christians is to do. It's to go out of our way to show the love of Jesus with such potency and clarity on authenticity and servanthood that the world around us says, wow, you guys are really different. You really are here for our good. 
You're not here for your convenience and your American dream and you to raise your family with your certain ethics and values and to be insulated in those things, but rather you are here to say, you know what, it's you before me. I'm not simply going to look out for my own interests, but I'm going to look out for the interests of others. I know for me, that's totally what has driven everything I've done in this entire phase of 18 months. It's what is best for the neighbors that I'm trying to reach, what sends the message that I care about you so much, I will inconvenience myself. And then more importantly, not just things like masks and vaccinations, but also I'm going to go out of my way to not complain, to not grumble, to be upbeat, to be positive, to not be frustrated. When something doesn't work right at the store or in a restaurant or whatever else, I'm not going to lay into the poor 18-year-old kid whose manager put him on the front line to say, you got to wear a mask. I'm going to be like, dude, totally. I totally get it. Awesome. Sorry to inconvenience you by you having to remind me to do something I should have known to do anyway, right? Like, like that is the difference. And so this is where we don't want to be all exasperated, frustrated, yelling at the TV, screaming at the radio because we might have some limitations again. No, this is your chance, people. This is your chance to be like, you know what? It's going to be okay. Don't argue or lecture about HIPAA laws. Just say it's going to be okay. We're all going to make it through it. It's going to be awesome. Give a six foot away, airy, like airy high five, you know, like, you know, like just whatever it is. It's like, let's just do it different than we did before. Let's not make demands. Let's not make griping our thing, right? Because again, Jesus is so clear with how we should face the world, right? He says, count it all joy when you endure these trials, right? It grows you. This is what Paul said in Romans 5. You know, that's the way we approach this. We have a peace that is in us that should be a peace that surrounds us in the way we do things. See, everybody is good at complaining, and especially with social media, we got all kinds of ways to complain. And everybody's good at judging. Right now, the vaxxers are judging the anti-vaxxers. The anti-vaxxers are judging the vaxxers. Man, both sides need to look at how they serve one another, love one another right? Speak good of one another. When the state asks us to do a thing in the name of Jesus, we should do that thing. Until that thing asks us to actually sin against Jesus, I go like, I I just want to be helpful. I want to be the Ted Laszlo of culture in the name of Jesus. Because if I can use that model, then I can be that kind of missionary. And that's what this is all about again. And so as we kind of look toward the next few weeks and months I guess I laid the challenge before us to not think like an American, to not think like somebody that is in suburbia, to think like Jesus, to see this not as liability, but opportunity, because that's all that's going to matter in the end, right? When when we die and stand before Jesus, he's not going to be like, so what was your position? He's going to be, how did you love? Who did you love? Did they know you love them? Where they, was it unequivocal? Like they just went like, yeah, no matter what, those Christians, they showed up and they showed up big. Every time we were, they were around, we were glad they were there. When the Christians showed up, we settled down. When the Christians showed up, everything was calm. When the Christians showed up, the hope level rises. When the Christians show up, that's when there is real peace floating in the air. Like that's what you and I want to be and frankly need to be. I look at the world and I, I'm so not shocked 
at times why the world is sometimes like, man, religion poisons everything. Like, I'm not shocked by that. I, I see how often we, we suit up for the game, but we don't really get out on the field. And this is where it's a time to get out on the field. When things are tough, that's where Christians can either shine or they can detract from what the gospel is all about. And so this is our moment to shine. This is our moment in going into this next phase of things to be positive, upbeat, encouraging, hopeful, joy-filled, difference-making people. And therefore, from that man, when our churches, if they can't open for a little while, or it's sort of inconvenient, or whatever it is, like whatever's going on, it's our chance to show the light of Christ in a darkened world, to show the hope of Christ when hope begins to fade, and to show that we actually care about something far greater than our comforts and our, our ease and our, our stuff and our vacations and everything else, our sports. I mean, we can show something far superior and greater. And that is that we are dominated by and living our lives through the God of the universe who gives us the strength to do it. And I believe when we do that, that is when we will be fantastic everyday missionaries.